Welcome back to Minding Our Businesses, where CEO and COO sisters share unfiltered conversation about running three companies together and and the the real life between it all. Carly and I are currently doing 75 soft, not 75 hard, V-soft. It's, I mean, basically 75 soft is like a much less intense version. I think for us, we're just doing like 75 days of like sticking to commitment. commitment. And for me, I'm doing it very heavily on like a a diet sense. Yeah. Like I don't want to do any cheating or moving off the path of what I want to do right now. I mean, honey, we're in wedding prep mode. Here we are. Um, One of the things that we do in the 75 soft or that I've committed to for 75 days is physical reading of 10 pages of a book and breath work. So I've actually kind of combined my bathtub and like romanticized my bathtub to be my breath work, my reading and um, my bath, like bathing myself. You do that anyways. Um, Not always. Sometimes I just take a bath and sometimes I sit there and scroll on TikTok like mm, instead of love a TikTok scroll. So I'm not doing that though. Like instead I'm, I'm actively trying to get my brain back into the physical reading. Cause I've gotten so deep into like audible that I think I've forgotten how much I love to physically read something and how meditative that is. Mm. Um, so I've been loving that challenge. Have you been doing the 10 pages a day? Mm-mm, just Wait, audible. You're going to start like reading. It's a nice exercise to be honest with you. I'm happy for you. Thank you. So when I was reading the other day, you guys know that I love my guru, Ram Das. He's one of my favorite people that no longer, he's, well, he's with us, but not physically right now, but he has many books and podcasts and he's someone I follow avidly. I love everything he says and stands for. He really releases my, my anxiety and I love the way he phrases things. So in his book, I read this excerpt the other day that it was just really well-rounded, I thought. And I, and I actually thought it was like a really nice summary of everything we've ever talked about on this podcast. Um, and I wanted to read it today. And then like have a discussion about the excerpt. They do it, girl. You down? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. So this section of the book, there's a, a bunch of different categories. It's called Karma Yoga Living in the World. And this particular section of this book is relationships and emotions. Um, can you just pass? So this book is called Polishing the Mirror. For those of you who maybe don't know anything about Ram Dass, he's actually from Brookline, Mass., I personally have said this before, but I think think we're related to him. Um, His last name was Alpert. Our mom's maiden name is Alpert and they were from Brookline. So like, I'm going to go with, he's a great uncle of ours. Um, (laughs) Love Brookline. Love Brookline. Represent. Well, Mammy did live there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think we might be related. It is the land of our people. It is the land of our people, the land of the Kanish. Um, And so- the Blints? The Blints, the the Kanish, the Blints and Kanish. That's a cute thing. Uh, that's a cute name for a dog, honestly. Blins? No. Kanish? I'm not going to have food for dogs. Why? I don't know. Probably I think fuck. it's weird. Probably fuck. Yeah. So anyways, he- Remember probably fuck? Probably fuck. I miss probably fuck. We should fuck. bring it back. We should bring it back. We're going to bring it back. Let's bring it back. So Ramdas was a Harvard professor who was addicted to LSD and psychedelics. <laughs> Damn. And he was a very meditative yoga guru- and he got kicked out of Harvard for his studies on psychedelics. Obviously, Harvard was like, yo, you're doing a lot of drugs. Like, <laughs> you're going to need to get the fuck I out of here. I love him. Um, he's amazing. And so, but what he did was he com- he was like really the first to combine 
psychedelics, yoga, and deep, deep meditation with a guru. He found a guru called Maharaji in India, and he studied with him in the mountains for many years. And there's many stories you can read that Ram Dass has written, but basically it, it concludes that Maharaji was a form of God. And that Maharaji, and it's very deep, like you have to be very open to these things to find it interesting. But Maharaji sat in the, in the mountains and like made things happen. And like actually there's factual like moments where he like did things that were out, or, out of this world. Um, so he like combined all of these things and he made books about his trips and what he found during his tr psychedelic trips and, you know, in his entire life. Um, super famous in the meditational world. I actually only found out about him because of Leland's mom. She introduced me to him and I'm forever grateful for that. But so this story really hit home for me. So I'm going to read it to you and then you guys can just let me know what your, what your thoughts are. Here we go. It's a little long. So from the soul's point of view, you come to appreciate that each one of us is living out his or her own karma. We interact together for those interactions are the grist for each other's mill of awakening. From a personality view, you develop judgment. From the soul's point of view, you develop appreciation. The shift from judging to appreciating, to appreciating yourself and what your karmic predicament is and who other beings are with their own karma brings everything into a simple loving awareness. To be free means to open your heart and your being to the fullness of who you are. Because only when you are resting in the place of unity can you truly honor and appreciate others and the incredible diversity of this universe. When I perform a wedding ceremony, the image I invoke is a triangle formed by the two partners and this third force, which is shared love that unites and surrounds them both. In the yoga of relationship, two people come together to find that shared love, but continue to dance as two. In that union, both people are separate and yet not separate. Their relationship feeds both their unique individuality and their unity of consciousness. Love can open the way to surrendering into oneness. It gets extraordinarily beautiful when there's no more me and no more you, and it just becomes us. Taken to a deeper level, when compassion is fully developed, you are not looking at others as them. You are listening and experiencing and letting that intuitive part of you merge into the other person, and you're feeling their pain or joy or hope or fear in yourself. And then it's no longer us and them. It's just us practicing this in your relationship with others, practice this in your relationship with others. So this is not just talking about a romantic relationship. It's also just any relationship that you have in your life. At a certain point, you realize that you see only the projections of your own mind. Oh, that line hits me harder every time I hear it. Say it again. At a certain point, you realize that you only see the projections of your own mind. I'm falling in between. The I honestly thought you just farted. No. But it was the chair moving. I know I'm falling into. Let's keep that part. Carly farted. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so I just love that line. Um, the play of phenomena is a projection of the spirit. Phenomena. Phenomena. He's saying that basically life is just a projection of your own spirit. The projections are your karma and your curriculum for this incarnation. Everything that's happening to you is a teaching designed to burn out your stuff, your attachments, your humanity, and all your desires are, are not some kind of error. They are an integral part of the journey. One way of getting to this place of compassionate action is by honoring others and being patient. Look at the people you don't like and see them as an exercise for you to open your spiritual heart and develop your compassion. The quieter you are, the more you hear the true nature of compassion. The intuitive compassion heart, 
The intuitive compassionate heart is the doorway to your unity. The story of Ayakido master Terry Dobson, I apologize if I'm messing up that word, is one of my favorites because it shows how to bring about harmony by embracing conflict with compassion and understanding. Here's the story. The train clanked and rattled through the suburbs of Tokyo on a drowsy spring afternoon. Our car was comparatively empty and a few housewives with their kids were in tow. Some old folks going shopping. I gazed absently at the drab houses and the dusty hedgerows. At one station, the doors opened and suddenly the afternoon quiet was shattered by a man bellowing violent, incomprehensible curses. The man staggered into our car. He wore laborers clothing and he was big, drunk, and really dirty. Screaming, he swung at a woman holding a baby and the blow sent her spinning into the laps of an elderly couple. It was a miracle the baby was unharmed. Terrified, the couple jumped up and scrambled towards the end of the car, and the laborer aimed a kick at the retreating back of the old woman, but missed as, the scuttled, as she scuttled to, safely, to safety. This so enraged the drunk that he grabbed the metal pole in the center of the car and tried to wrench it out of its station. I could see that one of his hands was cut and bleeding, and the train lurched ahead and the passengers frozen, with fear. I then stood up. I was young then, some 20 years ago, and it was pretty good. I was in pretty good shape. I had been putting in a solid eight hours of martial arts training every day for the last three years, and I liked to throw and I liked to grapple, and I thought I was tough. And the trouble was my martial arts skill was untested in actual combat. As a student, we were not allowed to fight. My teacher had said again and again, the art again and again, that this is the art of reconciliation. Whoever has the mind to fight has broken his connection to the universe. If you try to dominate people, you have already been defeated. We study how to resolve conflict and not how to start it. I listened to his words and I tried so hard. I even went so far as to cross the street to avoid the kids. The pinball punks who lunged around the station for my forbearance exalted me. I was both tough and holy. In my heart, however, I wanted an absolutely legitimate opportunity whereby, whereby I might save the innocent by destroying the guilty. This is it, I said to myself. As I stood up, people are in danger. And if I don't do something fast, somebody will get hurt. Seeing me stand up, the drunk recognized the chance to focus his rage on me. And he said, aha, a foreigner. You need a lesson in Japanese manners. And I held on lightly to the commuter strap overhead and gave him a slow look of disgust and dismissal. And I planned to take his turkey apart. And he had to make the first move. I wanted him mad, so I pursed my lips and I blew him an insolent kiss. All right, he hollered, you're going to get a lesson. He gathered himself for a rush at me. A fraction of a second before he could move, someone shouted, hey, and it was ear splitting. I remember the strangely joyous lilting quality of it as though you and a friend had been searching diligently for something he had suddenly stumbled upon. Hey, I wheeled myself to the left and the drunk spun to his right. We both stared down an old Japanese man. He must have been well into his 70s, and this tiny gentleman sitting there immaculate in his kimono. He took no notice of me, but beamed delightedly at the laborer as though he had a very important and most welcome secret to share. Come here, the old man said in an easy vernacular beckoning to the drunk. Come here and talk with me. He waved his hand lightly, and the big man followed as if he was on a string. He planted his feet belligerently in front of the gentleman and roared above the clacking wheels. Why the hell should I talk to you? The man now had his back to me. If he had, if his elbow moved such a millimeter, I would drop him into his socks. The old man continued to beam at the laborer. What you been drinking? He asked, his eyes sparkling with interest. I've been drinking sake. The laborer bellowed back and it's none of your business. 
flecks of splittle splattered over the old man. Oh, that's wonderful, the old man said. Absolutely wonderful. You see, I love sake too. Every night, me and my wife, she's 76, you know, we warm up a little bottle of sake. We take it out into our garden and we sit in our old wooden bench and we watch the sun go down and we look to see how our permission tree is doing. My great-grandfather planted that tree and we worry about whether it will recover from those ice storms we had last winter. Our tree had done better than I expected though, especially when you consider the poor quality of the soil. It is gratifying to watch when we take our sake and go to enjoy the evening, even when it rains. He looked up at the laborer with his eyes twinkling. As he struggled to follow the old man's conversation, the drunk began to soften his face. His fists slowly unclenched. Yeah, he said, I love permissions too. And his voice trailed off. Yes, said the old man smiling. And I'm sure you have a wonderful wife as well. Nah, my wife died. Very gently swaying with the motion of the train, the big man began to sob. I don't got no wife. I don't got no home. I don't got no job. And I'm so ashamed of myself. Tears rolled down his cheeks. A spasm of despair rippled through his body. There I was, standing in my well-scrubbed youthful innocence, my make-this-world-safe-for-democracy-righteousness. I suddenly felt dirtier than he was. The train arrived at my stop as the door opened, and I heard the old man cluck sympathetically. My, my, he said, that is a difficult predicament. Sit down here and tell me all about it. And I turned my head for the last look, and the laborer was sprawled on the seat, and his head was in the old man's lap, and the old man was softly stroking the filthy matted hair. And as the train pulled away, I sat down on a bench, and what I had wanted to do with the muscle had been accomplished with kind words. And I had just seen martial arts tried in combat, and the essence of it was love. You and I are in training to become conscious, compassionate beings in the truest and deepest sense. Become an instrument of joy, an instrument of equanimity, an instrument of presence, an instrument of love, an instrument of availability, and at the same moment, absolutely quiet. Since we all spend so much time in our relationships, why not turn them into a yoga for getting free? He doesn't mean physical yoga. He means like the practice of becoming free. Living a spiritual life is a strategy for working on yourself for the benefit of all beings. That's another way of saying that the optimum thing you can do for someone else is work on yourself. Not out of some idealistic sense of altruism, but because getting to oneness for yourself means resolving your sense of separateness to the fact that we are all family. Use every situation you have with other people as a vehicle to work on yourself and see where you get stuck, see where you push, see where you grab, where you judge, where you do all the other stuff. Use your life experiences as your life curriculum. When I look at my relationships, my own and others, I see a whole range of reasons we get together and why we interact. Some are transactional, but the other deeper impulse of every human relationship is to evoke the love and the oneness that unites us. But what actually happens is the many relationships reinforce our separateness because of the misperception of ourselves as separate beings and because of our desire systems, which are based on separateness or our ego. Relationships only work in a spiritual sense when you and I really see that we are one. Relationships and emotions can reinforce our separateness or they can be the grist for the mill of our awakening. When it comes to the love relationships, we are like bees looking for a flower. The predicament is that the emotional power of loving somebody can get you so caught up in the interpersonal melodrama that you can't get beyond the emotion. And the problem with interpersonal love is that you are dependent on the other person to reflect the love back to you. And that's the part of the illusion of separateness. The reality is that the love is a state of being that comes from within you. 
The only thing that you really ever have to offer another person is your own state of being. When you are not entrapped by another person's appearance or their behavior, you can see beyond all of that and get to a deeper level of their being because your mind has tuned into itself. You've shifted your focus just that little bit to see their soul. And the soul quality is love. When I was growing up, I used to be somebody. We were all in somebody training those days. You become somebody and then you tell everybody who you are. You hand out your business cards and you say, how do I do? I am somebody. And how do you do? And I do such and such. Everybody is very important and everybody is very special. And each person assesses how much more important they are than everybody else. And we were all in training and I became somebody my parents wanted me to be, to be special. And my educators wanted me to be special. And they trained me how to do that. And it's called ego structuring. I really made it. I was really somebody. And my parents were proud of me. I could look in their eyes and see pride and appreciation. And that part was gratifying. The only problem was, is I felt lousy inside. I felt like somehow I should be happy, but I wasn't happy. And I thought, well, happiness isn't everything, is it? As long as I am what everybody wants me to be, isn't that enough? But it wasn't enough. And I felt really weird. If somebody at work is a problem for you, they're not the one who needs to change. If someone is a problem for you, it's you who needs to change. If you feel they're causing you a problem, that is your problem. It's on you. Your job is to clear yourself. If they're creating a problem for themselves, that is their karma. When Christ was being crucified, he talks a lot about different religions. Um, he was Jewish, Ramdas, but he believes in oneness. Mm -hmm. So he believes all religions are one. Mm -hmm. When Christ was being crucified and he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was trying to help others out of being a problem for themselves. They weren't a problem for him because he was clear. Ideally, you clear yourself right in the situation, but often it's too sticky and you can't do it. Step back and then do the practices you do in the morning, in the evening, or on weekends to stay clear. Do the stuff that quiets you down inside. Next time you go into that work situation, you might lose it again. Just go home and see how you lose it. Examine how you lost it. You go in the next day and you lose it again. You start keeping a diary of, how did I lose it today? And then you go and you do it again. After a while, you're starting to lose it, but you don't buy into it so much. You start to watch the mechanics of what it is that makes you lose it all the time. When you get to the point of seeing stuff as it's actually happening, becoming the witness, the tendrils of attachment will begin to loosen for you. If you don't appreciate me, that is your problem. If I need your love or your approval, then it's my problem. Then my needs are giving you power over me, but it's not your power. It's the power of my desire system. The power other people have to shake you out of your equanimity and your love and your consciousness has to do with your own attachments and the clinging of your own mind. And this is where you work on yourself, where you need to meditate more, where you need to reflect more, where you need a deeper philosophical framework. It's where you need to cultivate your witness more. It's where you need to practice opening your heart more in circumstances that aren't optimal or easy. That is your work. You were given a heavy curriculum. You were given a full course load. And this is it. There's no blame. You're not being graded. It's just what's on your plate right now in this moment. Using relationships as a vehicle to freedom means we have to learn to listen. Listen to each person at the level of their being. The art of listening comes from a quiet mind and an open heart. Listening uses all of your senses, and it is a subtle skill. Listen. Just listen. 
not only with your ear, but also with your being. Your being becomes the instrument of listening. Your sensing mechanisms in your life are not just your ears, your eyes, your skin, your analytic mind. It's something much deeper. It's some intuitive quality of knowing. With all of your being, you become an antenna to the nature of a person. Then for the relationship to remain as a living spirit, one of the best ingredients to put into the stew is your truth. The end. What's funny is I was just thinking about like when you're first born in this life, like you know nothing. Nothing. Or do you know everything? Well, like the world just gets to you in these ways that like teach you these things that like make you react or make you feel a certain type of way or you're raised a certain type of way. Shape you. In who you are. And like we're all just like beings kind of going our own route of like growing with our own families. I have this constant reminder that like the world gets to you, the world gets to you. Like you always need to like revert back to understanding to oneness that like everybody is kind of the same. That's what his point is constantly. Yeah. And, and for me, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, but this morning when I was driving here, someone beeped at me for no reason. No, no, that was fine. Oh, it was fine. Yeah. Just, um, but it's just so funny. Like I thought for a second, I was like, she's just having a bad day today. Yeah. And then I moved on from it. Cause normally I would have like major road rage. Cause like I can, I can have major road rage. Um, but it's, it's funny just to hear that whole story unfold. Like at the end, the guy who was doing the work ended up feeling worse because he was about to use violence to stop a problem. Well, you could feel the rise of the situation. Like I, I found it interesting that they're like babies and children and, and elderly it's are a at big risk. situation. Yeah. And, and of course, everybody's first reaction would be like, fuck that guy. Fuck that situation. Like he's, he's a jerk, Right. I find that I, my heart generally now is conditioned to go first to the compassion. And I find that most people don't understand that. And I, I sometimes feel alone in that. And it's almost a sad place to be because then I have to explain my thinking or my positivity. But my mind really does first go to questioning, is that person okay? I think it depends on the situation for me. And maybe that's something I need to work on because I don't, always go there and it's not because I'm not a compassionate person because I actually think that you are I very am. compassionate I think it's just again like I said previously I think the world just gets to you and you just have these like skewed visions of people in your life or people that are near you mm -hmm. um well if you think about it really one thing I had to download about after I read that story alone was that we are all just walking representations of everything we've ever personally experienced right so everything that you see coming out of someone's mouth or something that they're doing or acting upon, somewhere, some, at some point in their journey, compassionately speaking, they experience that. Well, the thing about Ram Dass that I love too is that it's not just blaming yourself. It's also, well, it is blaming yourself completely because it's like you also have to take the time to look inside and be like, why did I react that way? And be like, okay, well, maybe it's like something that's really inner, inner going wrong with mm -hmm. myself, you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's cultivating the witness. That's one of his biggest topics. Because to me, like when I'm like mad at myself or irritated with myself or something, I'm just like, even, and I've said this before, like Joe's my person for this, like I'll complain and then I'll stop myself and be like, well, it's like completely my fault, you know? Mm -hmm. Or it's like, I completely procrastinated on that or I completely lost track of time or got really busy or whatever. And he was like, 
I agree with you. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You just kind of need those people in your life mm-hmm. that like bring you back down to earth mm-hmm. when the world is getting to you. It's very healthy to be surrounded by people who understand those concepts. I held because well, you're saying you feel alone in that. I, yeah. Well, I, like, I held Mike's hand last night because I said I had bought someone a very exaggerated gift recently, probably <laughs> very like probably spent too much than I should have. And I, but I, I'm a love gift giving and I, do I know the gift? Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh. not, not going to stay here, but like, I just wanted to give this person a gift. I felt compelled to do it. And as my husband, he could have judged me in that, like in my choice to do so. He looked at me at dinner and I said, I, I cause, cause when I gave, did he not know? No, he knew oh. he was a part of it with me, but I recognized that he could have said that that was excessive or stupid or judged me for it. Right. But I was something I wanted to do. I felt compelled to give this gift. And I loved the way that he was a part of it with me. And like, instead of him judging me, cause it's a little bit outside of his like comfort zone, he walked into the room when I gave this individual the gift and smiled. And I saw him enjoy the moment with me, like in actually engage in it. And I said to him at dinner, I held his hand. I was like, I love the way that you handled that. I was like, because you could have shit on me for doing that. He was like, I respect where it came from. Like, like that it was like a beautiful, compassionate thing. And, and to me, like that situation was just so beautiful because like it could have prompted a a husband and wife fight. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I guess not align. No, I'm, I understand what you're saying. I just truly believe that I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, yeah, of course. But there's some decisions that as husband and wife that, you know, you always run into disagreements and you'll always run into- I just wouldn't think that Mike would ever care about that. Maybe I don't know. Well, but- some people have money on the table. You're coming from an angle like where you are earning your own money and I'm earning my own money. Yeah. And so when I spend my own money, I don't want to be questioned. I just, from knowing the gift and like what it was for, I would think that Mike would understand. Like, I think he would always be on the same page with you about that. I guess I was just taking a moment to appreciate that, that he, he was. was. Yeah, I because understand. He could have, and, and it would have just been annoying to me- If he didn't. If he didn't. And I would have been like, I want to do this, you know? So I just like think that those people that like understand compassion are important. I think that's when you find, I think we've previously talked about like twin flames. Definitely. And like, I think I love those moments in relationships where you're like on the same page about something you thought you wouldn't have been. Oh my God, same. I know exactly. It's like my favorite thing. And honestly, this is so embarrassing or maybe it's not, but like sometimes it's just like food related for me. Like we're like both really want Chinese. I love that. We both really want Chinese food. I love when we agree on dinner. When we agree on lunch at work, it's it's like, it's an equanimity. It is amazing. We are oneness. But when we disagree, it's it's a problem. It's a problem. I agree. But just like, I, I agree with you. Like even when I'm choosing things for the wedding and like, I'm like being excessive and I'm like, I need these flowers to be like this crazy. And like, I need, he's like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. So just like for stupid things, like just being on the same page, but I love that feeling. What else did you th- feel when I read that story? Like what was any, any other blind reactions for you? I think I was just honestly, maybe this is selfish, but was, I was thinking about myself. That's normal. And I was thinking about that moment that I had this morning with that person, but I'm just thinking about like all the times, like you get yourself worked up. That is so unnecessary or Mm. you get, or you react to situations that's so unnecessary or you don't download something in the moment when you could have, cause you're not really listening or you're not really there or present. Like you're almost outside yourself. Yeah. And like that happens to me a lot, just with the amount of things that are happening to me in a day. Like, I, uh, that's actually 
because of the amount of things that happened to me in a day. That is why I, I must, and that's why I love what Ramdas goes back to. I must meditate. Yeah, because no, if I know I that's don't why you push that. Gain clarity on all the you shit are that a happened. Very present person. I always say that to you. Like I, I try hard, but it's every day I'm working on it. I mean, it's definitely not an easy thing to no. do. It, it, sitting in a meeting, even if I'm completely interested in the topic and like love whatever we're talking about, like being a hundred percent present and opening your ears and really listening with your whole being. It's a lot of brain power and work. Yeah, well, I think Carly might be referencing, we have a really hard day on Tuesdays. We sit in meetings from, I'm not going to say hard, it's a challenge. Yeah. Because the, there's a structure to the meeting we like to have, and we have that meeting from literally 9, 9 a.m. To 4. To 4 p.m. Yeah. And it's repeated all day, and it's a lot of thought-provoking But things. honestly, that also turned into our Wednesdays too, yeah. which was like, which I love. I, love. I don't, I wouldn't change it. I love it. I wouldn't change it. It's wonderful. But it's but a like, mind fuck. It's, I forget that like giving your whole self and your whole being to someone or something, regardless of what it is, is a lot of work. Oh my God. Well, I have to like on Tuesdays and I have to like download the conversations yeah. we had because I'm present. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm focused. I'm prepared. But then I need to like take time to have the meditation and the clarity to understand what was said, why someone said something the way they did. Is there a deeper meaning? And as a leader, that's where I think I thrive yeah. is, is getting to that root after the fact. Yeah. And I, and I just think that story is really beautiful in the way it turned out like this one man who seems to be very meditative, obviously, who drinks the, the Japanese man. Yeah. He drinks sake with his wife and he found a correlation moment to this guy to get on the same page with him, to remember that we're all humans and then brought him back down to earth and he probably, he's the one that stopped bad things from happening. He is. So most of us probably, Carly's statistic, 90% of us probably would have tried to fight the guy and, and gave him anger. I would say probably more than 90% yeah, of people I would, would not have most, approached that situation people, with compassion. And I would say probably even some meditative people would have. I'm, I'm sure you're very meditative. There's times where you're... I mean, of course, the first thing I thought of when I was reading that story blindly Don't touch is, the child. Is the child yeah. okay? Like, that's yeah. the first thing I'm wondering. And like, I'm like, how could you hurt a child? But then when you ask yourself, if you pull yourself back and you're like, I wonder if this person could be in pain. Sometimes I try to do that with my friends as you grow up too. Like, you know, the drama that comes with friend groups and friendships and you, you never know what someone's going through. And I try to like switch my brain from that 20 year old self to, you know, the 30 vibe. And it's just like before sometimes I catch myself going in between and I'm like, why are you talking about, like, why are you talking about this? Or like, why are you saying that? Well, Carly, or like one thing you've said like three times now is that you've done a better job recently of cultivating your witness. I am. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not a always. daily job. Not always. Like it doesn't, cultivating the witness doesn't mean you were perfect in the moment. It means yeah. you were able to look back and reflect how was I in the moment. That's something I'm really good at. I'm I'm not always good at realizing it in you the moment. You were not really good at that. You have become really no, good at that. No, fine. It's something I'm really good at well, now. Well, take it deserves credit. Yeah, like I I really am hard on myself on those things. Like all if something happened to me during the workday that I need to be a witness of, like I'll go home and think about it all night. Mm -hmm. And then I'll actively do I things. I see you do it. I know when you're going to do it, too. I did it last night. I know you did. I was like I know you did. And I don't care. Like it, and it was so funny. I I was literally filming content in the shower. I knew why you were calling me. I was deep in the shower naked, 
filming myself trying me a video. <laughs> trying to make it so I didn't show Lauren my boob in the it's hard in the it's really hard to film so, yeah, yourself naked in the I shower think, yeah. it's hard it's so hard and I did I there and then there was a moment that I accidentally filmed myself naked in the mirror and didn't know I was fully naked <laughs> that's and I was the like, worst fuck, 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 she's gonna see me fully naked so I had to go back through every video and make sure I wasn't she naked probably has I, yeah. seen oh I mean I don't naked. care yeah. but I just don't want it you know be in our content <laughs> on, album on the internet oh I knew you were calling me because I knew what you were working on well I don't I like to get shit done. I mean, like, let's be Yeah, real. you're a high-performing individual. I, I do, but I just, and I can be, I can give myself grace in moments and know that, like, there's other things I do really well and there's things that I could work on. And, but I just, I think for myself in the, in the being of this world, like, I love the fact that we're all in the same level playing field. And if we look at each other like that, then this world will be more peaceful. Well, that's to me why I was motivated to read that story because I think that the lessons from it could literally solve They're wars. Like endless. That, that's the thing is like everyone believed that. The tough part is, is that the pessimist in me is like, how would everyone believe that? Cause it's, it's, it's a tough thing. Well, that you would have to have faith and you'd have yeah. to believe in the awakening of the universe. You'd have to believe that the universe could believe that. So I think it's, I think one thing that we can do is this podcast and read stories like that, have conversations like this that influence other people listening to feel something yeah. that makes them understand that concept. And something I want to get better at is like being a witness in the moment before. Like that's, I think I've, I've been better at being the witness after the fact, but like, I think it's stronger to be witness in the moment, you know? I don't know if that, so like, even when you're putting in the work, like I'm someone who definitely does put in that work and recognizes, like if somebody asked me to do something and I'm like, nope, I haven't meditated in a while. I need to go do that instead. I will say I'm not available. Mm -hmm. Someone calls me and I'm meditating. I'm not available. I know what the priorities I need to have. Recently, when the girls stopped sleeping for two weeks, like they were like up all night. I lost my ability to like function because I was so tired and I was like working so hard and I'm like, I was on a treadmill. Again, a lot of the brain, like it's a lot of brain it's a, work. It's a lot of yeah, brain work, but is. I was exhausted. And yeah. so I, I found that I, my meditation took a backseat burner and it was really very minimal. And I found myself in a situation in the parking lot. Someone had parked. <laughs> and, and I no, love this. It, well, someone, I, I normally do not have confrontations where I don't appro approach with love. Yeah. It really, I really, I take pride in that. There was a woman who had parked in my spot and it happens every day. So I, I, I was like boiling and it happened like, I think 10 times that week. So I, I looked at her and I was like, are you going to parlor? <laughs> and she was like, no. And I said, well, can I just tell you that you're, the sign says parlor? So could you please next time not park in that spot? At first I was still nice, even though I was like frustrated. You can still like have tired. a situation and be nice. Yes. But then I was like, I actually probably wasn't as mean as I thought. I was just like, can you please not park there next time? And I, and then she was like, I'll do what I want. And then I kind of got triggered and I was like, well, like you won't. Cause like I've been fighting for years in my lease and my contract to have that, that spot. Like that's my, I'll tell you that's my spot. <laughs> and I was like, like, don't park in my spot. And then I kind of like started to spiral and I was like, where, where were you coming from? What business were you coming from? That's what I said. And she was like, why do you need to know that? I was like, I need to know that because you're coming from a business that's parking in my spot and I want to know what business you're coming from. And she was like, you're being rude and stupid. Slammed her door and drove away. And I like was racy and purple and I was trying not to be. And I went home that night and I was like, I need to be the witness. And I was like, I haven't meditated in, in a while. That clearly, that, that was an escalation for me that I would prefer not to have an escalation like that. Like I would have preferred to approach her and say, hey, like, 
just wondering, are you going to parlor and like, you know, approach with kindness? Well, most people like, and I've done that before. And most people are like, no problem, no problem, no problem. Like, I think where the world tests you is when someone is kind of like triggering that feeling for you, you know? Yes. And And that's when you have to be the strongest. Well, he says, and in that excerpt, he's like, that's the work. Yeah. That's the work. That's your assignment. You can do the previous work. You can be proactive. You can do the breath work. You can do the the brain work. But when a situation approaches you, it's like, what are you going to do? Well, he, what what Ram Dass is saying in, in some short, in shorter words is when that situation happens, that's what you should meditate on. Right. That's what you, so you have to meditate on things. Are you saying after it happens or as it's happening or both? Uh, so when it's happening, usually you're in the present mindset of what you're feeling emotionally. You're having a reaction, a trigger. His feeling is, so I'm not saying in the moment. I'm saying after the moment, you become the witness of what you just experienced. And then you get better. And then you get better Understood. at being the witness. So, so he's saying it's more about the reflection and that's why meditation's important. I think sometimes people think meditation is clearing your mind, but it's actually can often be reflect, uh, reflecting or meditating on a concept. I think I do that. Meditate on a concept? Uh, always. Like, uh, unless it's like a, just a situation. I don't think I'm a good at clearing my mind though. And I think also, well, you might just not be taking the time to do it. It, might not, be, not. it might not mean you're not good at it. Definitely not. <laughs> um, but so I, just, I just think it's something that I've learned from Ram Dass when I was listening to some of his podcasts, which I, I think are really cool, is just like in something that I always hold on to, it's just nothing matters. And like, that to me is just relieving, you know? I just find him to it's, be so peaceful. It's, his words are very understood. Like I understand he a lot. He says it so simply, but they're so impactful. Yeah, no, they really are. And I think listen, things I got were listening, truth. Compassion. Compassionate. We're all on the same level playing field. We're all one. Just finding that common ground with people. Yeah. Well, you know what's something else that's interesting that I love to think about is when he, t- he talks a lot about being somebody says we're all busy being somebody I feel I feel targeted I also feel very targeted by that and And, but I I agree I I often know that I I often I'm like no one cares about you no one gives a fuck it's not about no one cares in that sense it's just like not in like a rude no it's a spiritual sense where it's like you your ego thinks people care but you don't care and they don't care and you're just busy being somebody it's nothing. It's just all nothing. It's, it's weird to unpack. It's like you kind of like, you know, these things are like, you've heard them before, but then you hear it again and it like slaps you in the face. It's why it's called a practice. You have to keep hearing it. You have to keep it's doing up. it. It's great. It's all wonderful. It's, it, it makes sense. I've, I learned something from that and yeah. I think other people will too. I think it's a good pausing moment in the situation because think about how many times you probably could have reacted better not only for yourself but for other people well that was the line I loved the most when he said the best work you can do for somebody else is to be one with yourself yeah and I really resonate with that because I probably a year ago was just like sloppy just a sloppy girl very sloppy sloppy girl just not really caring like don't care what I'm eating don't care about ingredients don't care about walking don't care about breathing like nice air and sun and getting all the things nature can give you. And what a whole 360 that that can do to you is like really taking care of yourself for your relationships and for your, your friendships and every relationship. Yeah. Work, 
just like making yourself better makes everything better with everybody else. The other day, so our grandmother is bullied. <laughs> I knew I was going to bring this up because I was like, yeah, yeah. Our she's grandmother bullied. is bullied in her, in her nursing home. It's really difficult because Mammy? Yeah, Mammy, yeah, very, 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 it's like high school, very bullied. So it's like high school, she is obviously apparently not, doesn't fit in. And cause she's attractive. She cares about her hair. She cares about what she wears. She's also literally iconic. She's iconic. She wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Al who has dementia mm-hmm. and you know, he's doing That's tough. It's really hard. So she's in a place that she probably wouldn't ever need to be in. And the women there, you know, have lost their husbands shields up and are sad and don't look like her. You know, she's in normal Kamali leggings and like a free people top and her Chanel sunglasses and her Chanel sunglasses. She's like really something and she's something to look at And her non gray hair. I think she stands out. She, she certainly stands out yeah. and she's bullied and she's been bullied for like six months. Like people will like mention like, Oh, you're not eating that. Like, Oh, you, you don't eat. Oh, she also eats very healthy cares about what she looks like she cares about those she things. Gets she gets upset. Does. Yeah. And it's really, she's really sad about it. So I've held my tongue. I've called the director. The director happens to live on my street and I have like tried to be, take the compassionate route. The other day when I went to visit her, she was like, that's them. She pointed them out to me. They were all sitting, eating dinner. And I worked at a nursing home, as you know. And I, I know that there's always mean girls. There's always a mean girl table. And she was like, that's, I'm like, oh, that's it's high school. That's the mean girl table. Yeah. So I go up to them and I'm like, I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be 5D. I'm going to be Ram Das. I'm going to be spiritual. I'm going to do this the right way. So I'm like, I'm going to go help her because she, could, she can't handle it anymore. So I was like, I went up to the table. I was alone. They were in the other room. They were all in the dining table. And I was like, ladies, hi. It's been brought to my attention that, you know, you aren't nice to my grandma. And I was like, and she's hurt by it. I'm sorry. I would have paid to see You this. have no idea. I caused a scene. And I was like, you are really not nice to her. And she's sad. And I was like, I, I'm confused at why. And I, I guess that's why I'm coming over here is I just want to understand your reasoning. I was like, is there, did she do something to you that you, she owes you an apology for is how I started and the other, one of the women, her name was Sheila. She said, that's her sister's name. Yeah. Or was her sister's name. She said her husband once said something offensive and her, and that offended my husband who now is dead <laughs> and I don't have my husband and she has her husband that's and she started horrible. to cry in my arms. And I was Sad. like, I am so sorry, Sheila. I was like, so you must be holding on to that because the last thing your husband felt was irritation was irritation yeah. towards my grandfather and so you so I was like I had a compassionate moment with this woman mm-hmm. she's not the main source of the evil and I looked at the real evil woman and I was like so what I get her problem can you explain to me your problem and she was like I don't like the way she looks Ooh. and I was triggered and I was like okay I was like so let me let's work through that together I was talking just like this really soft and calm I had the baby in my hand and Sadie in my hand and I was like so you don't like the way she looks at you. You don't like the way she looks physically. Do you, what is that? And she was like, I just don't like the way she looks. She doesn't dress her age. Da, 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 and how on all these opinions. And I was like, but did she do something to you? Or you just simply don't like the way she looks. And she was like, you know, you're nasty. Just like your grandma. And I wasn't being nasty yet. And I was like, and she was like, and I just don't like her. I just, don't. I was like, you know, that's not nice. And I was like, and you guys, none of you want to be here. She was like, I don't want to be here. And I was like, and no one is happy to be in these types of places. I get that. I was like, but why do you think being mean is making it better? 
I was like, why can't you just have love for each other and just be nice? She was like, I won't. I don't want to. And sometimes when you meet someone with compassion, they won't fall in your lap and have you pet their matted hair. But so I said to her, I was like, you know, you must just be a mean woman then. I was like, and, and I tried to be nice to you and I tried to be compassionate. I said, I just want to let you know something. Your director lives on my street. I was like, and if you com- continue to hurt my grandmother, I've tried to be nice to you. I've tried to be compassionate. I was like, we will work towards not having you be here because you're acting inappropriately towards her and you're being a bully. And she was like, you're a nasty girl. You learn it from your grandma going off, 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 off. And I was like, I'm going to leave now. And I walked out and I said to the woman, Sheila, I said, I will have, make sure my grandma apologizes to you. I apologize if you were offended. And I said to the other woman, I have nothing left to say to you. And I walked away. We sat in the other room in front of the very hot fireplace in the 80 degree nursing room, nursing home room. Cooking. Cooking. Playing with the babies. And the woman comes out of the dining room and she comes up to Mammy and she says, I'm so sorry. And hugs her and was like, I don't want to fight Sydney. And they hugged each other and they made up. And I just found it to be a very interesting experiment of living in the fifth dimension and compassionate and kindness. And they're in their late 80s, you guys. Well, they probably didn't do a lot of this work. Definitely not. But my point is like, you talk about being born, they're in their late 90s. We're all in our like early, late 20s, early 30s. We're the strongest. Please. I think their strongest time. We'll be in your late 20s soon. (laughs) I wish I was in my early 20s. No, you don't. I'm kidding. Um, I actually don't. I don't. I, I would that. never I would I like, never go I back really in like time. 30s. I really like 30s. I think the most important time to do this type of work is this age. I think if you learn it, I think the younger you understand these type of things and the more you try to ingrain it into your brain, the better off you'll be because everybody should do Every this time you learn more and more lessons, the better you can be for yourself and the better you can be for others. And I think it's just important. And if you spread that to your little network, then you can, we can start making peace. Puddles, ripples, puddles ripples in the puddles of people. Lauren, what was your reaction to the story? Well, I was thinking about my, my age and just my relationships with people and how I've shifted my perspective on what other people are going through. I think one thing, one situation that came to mind instantly was just how I never tried to understand why people were so sensitive and anxious and had like, an, it was very anxiety inducing over simple situations. Like with my roommates, they have, they're all different and they're all, they all have different sensitivities and different anxiousness. And I think you do learn that when you live with people. Yeah. 100%. Prior to living with them, I never understood like why people would make such a big deal out of something so little. And then after living with them and seeing that and also witnessing my own reaction to that, I've now shifted myself a little bit to understanding that it's not just like that situation that's making them act this way. It's how they've Deeper. learned, learned yeah. to react to mm. a dish not being cleaned or like something so simple. It's from their parents, from how they grew up, from mm-hmm. whatever it is. But shifting my misunderstanding to compassion and trying to, you know, guide them. Remove judgment. Remove judgment, but also like have them understand my perspective. We come to a beautiful conclusion where it's no longer a problem. Well, it's so funny because you can solve anything. I hate being judged, 
So I try to check myself when I'm judging other people. Yeah. It's a human innate reaction it to is. judge. And, and then there, that's why I said before, like being your own witness is probably the number one takeaway for me. Cause it's like when you're judging someone or something and then you're like, well, what if this was me? Or what if you left the table and you felt like all of your friends were talking about you? Like, don't be the person that's doing that. Right. Don't be the person that's doing that because you don't like when it feels like it's you. Yeah. You know, I think, it, it, I think the, the phrase like to wrap all of this up is cultivating the witness is what you should take away from this episode is like, because cultivating the witness and I love the word cultivating. It means you're working at it. It means you're formulating it. The becoming your own witness is the healthiest thing you can do to help the world. Mm one step at a time and to help the people that love you and the people and, and, and to cultivate the witness, you must do practices that feel good in your heart that help you get there. Yeah. I think one exercise for people that are listening that I think is smart is like pick three situations that you feel like you could write down and like see how you could have reacted mm -hmm. better to, mm -hmm. or like just think about it in your the car. Asking the why. Yeah. Why did I react that way? Why am I saying that? Why did I say that? Why, why, why? am I mad at my husband for this when like maybe he's feeling something like let's have a conversation together and talk about it. Am and I being annoying? 100%. Like sometimes I'll literally, actually there was a, a a video I just sent to Joe where it's like this girl who's like, mah, 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 mah. she's like going like this. And it's me talking to my husband who's downstairs and can't hear me. And then I get angry when he keeps it, when I keep going like, Oh my God, that I go, what? All what? The time. He's like, yes. what? And I go, what do you mean? What? Like, can't you hear me? He's like, I can't hear you like i'm not ignoring you i'm not like being rude like i just can't you're like at the you. furthest corner of the house you right <laughs> well if you're being compassionate too like in even the smallest or the largest of situations then what you're doing is thinking how that person must feel so in joe's situation he's sitting in a room he genuinely can't minding his own business and then she's a fucking mental case and she's like <laughs> and the, you know so like from his perspective you're just crazy 100%. But from my perspective, once I download after I've done it a couple of times or see it on a funny meme, I'm like, holy shit, that's me. And you're a bad girl. Yeah. Bad, naughty girl. I hope you guys like that story. I know there's a lot. Loved it. I loved it. it. Um, and we can continue to do this because like, this is what I, this is the kind of things I read on a, on a nightly basis. It's, my favorite type of topic. We won't read, so you read, you can to, read to us. us. I'll read to you. Book tour coming. Book tour. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I hope that your takeaway is that it don't be perfect. Just cultivate the witness. Absolutely. Love it. Be forgiving, have grace, and more than anything, challenge yourself to remove judgment and replace it with compassion because that man swinging drunk on the train, trying to hurt babies and elderly people was simply just sad. And from the business side of it, you have for leaders, like number one attribute you need to have is compassion for people. Oh my God, it is Because a lot so of managers important. and leaders that I've known don't lead with that. And if you do lead with that, then you'll have a nice group of people that you get along with really well. It couldn't apply more personally and professionally. Absolutely. Truthfully. Much right. love. Namaste. We love you. Oh, and by the way, just to give credit where credit's due, that book is called Polishing the Mirror by Ram Dass. Nice. Over and out. Get it in the Amazon storefront. <laughs>